Hello and welcome to Hallelujah Monkeys for April 17th. I am Dylan Flynn. I am Trevor Ickrath. Oh, hi, Trevor. I didn't see you there. How's it going, Dylan? I know. I tend to sneak up on people. How was your week? Did you have a good one? It was okay. It was really stressful. I had to um, like live half of it without a phone. Did you literally feel like you were disconnected from humanity? Well, I'm like a millennial, so I literally felt like I was dying. <laughs> but you got, it, you got it up and running. Well, I had to get a new one. The, uh, the phone I had, the, you know, the lightning port was so messed up that I basically had to start like drawing like chalk pentagrams on the floor and like invoking like Lovecraftian gods just to get it to charge properly. Ooh, that's, that's a bummer. I had to do the upgrade to the old big iPhone 7. Oh, without- yeah. Without the headphone jack, the first thing I did when I got in my car after getting it was go to plug it into the aux cord, and I felt I felt my heart breaking when I realized that it wasn't there anymore. Oh, that is a bummer. I'm trying to picture a Trevor Ickrath hand. Is that a decent sized hand you got there, Trevor Ickrath? I mean, I'm like I'm like six three, and the rest of me is in proportion. So I guess. So a, a big old iPhone seven. It's not. You're not. You're not struggling to to wrap your your paws around that bad boy. No, it's actually pretty nice. I got like the plus, so it's like very big. It doesn't even really feel like a phone. It's just like a little screen I carry around with me now. How was your week, Dylan? I had a rough one. I had a real rough week, Trevor. Okay, here's what I think happened. I think that I stopped my car in my driveway and let my car idle for a while because a song came on that I wanted to hear the end of. Of course. While I was listening to that song, I think that I put my car into park. But... maybe the rest of the story calls that into question because I got out of my car when that song ended uh, to open up my garage door and park my car inside of it and my car lurched forward like it was in drive and started to to move towards my garage door. I remember that scene in drive, yeah. Yeah, that one. (laughs) So I, I leapt, I dove face first into the cabin of my car to try to use my hand to hit the the foot brake. Uh, But I guess I was so charged up and my aim wasn't great, so I pumped the gas instead. uh, And I dragged my body up my own driveway (laughs) in my... Yikes. Yeah, I mean, my knees, I skinned them, like, terribly. And, like, I yanked my shoulder really bad. Here's what I'm saying, Trevor. I'm saying that one of two things happened. Uh, either I didn't put my car in park and I was just idling with my foot on the brake the whole time and then I got out or ghosts are real. So I'm just saying if you hear me yelp at any point, it's probably because I like knocked my terrible knees against something or it, or it's that ghost. It's the ghost that, that tried to kill me. Yeah, if you hear any loud crashing noises, it's the ghost taking the car through your house. <laughs> Like Christine style. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Wait, was there a ghost in Christine or was it just a car that was evil? <laughs> I think it was just a car that was evil. Boy, Stephen King was doing a lot of cocaine in the 1980s. We'll have time to talk about cocaine and ghosts and <laughs> demons in the second half of our podcast. We Let's sure will. Uh, get to the news. It's all good news now. 
Yeah, so it's fitting, Trevor, that I actually do have some Demon Days related news this week. Um, we wish we, we wish we didn't, though. Yeah, I wish, or, or that it was better. <laughs> Demon Days. It's all bad related. news now. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, so you may be aware, uh, if you're listening at home, that Vinyl Me Please, a, a subscription vinyl service, uh, recently put out a reissue of Demon Days on vinyl, uh, remastering as well, I believe. And there are some issues. There's some quality assurance problems, Trevor. Let me just go down, because I read through like 20 pages on the Vinyl Me Please forum to get info for this. Yeah, it sounds like this is like a comically bad pressing. It's a really, really shoddy pressing. So first of all, this has nothing to do with the quality of the pressing, but maybe the dubious uh, quality of the decision making. Uh, So the remaster does not use any crossfades between the tracks. I was very disappointed to learn that. That's also true, I think, of the version of, that's on Spotify right now, too. I'm not, not on Apple Music. Apple Music has the transitions. Very weird. But anyway, that's not a production error. That's just some weird choices being made. Here's, some, here's the real info. So some people got their prong holes punched in the wrong place, so the records are off-center. Bad. Some people have big, crazy scratches on their vinyl. Bad. Also bad. Uh, some this is real weird. So some copies play at, at a faster and higher pitch than a commercial release should. Bad. So like at, by the end of the whole thing, even though there are no crossfades, your album will end thirty seconds early, which is kind of crazy. Uh, and then here's the craziest one, Trevor. This is like unbelievable to me. There are some copies that have no A side. They just have two B sides printed on the same record. Can I tell you something? You told me that there might be some problems with my record. Yeah. So I was like, I'm going to take it out and listen to a side just to make sure everything's good. I put down, you know, record one on my player, thinking that I was putting the A-side on, because, like, you know, it was 2D. I assumed he was on the A-side for some reason. Sure. I realized it could have been Murdoch, because now I don't know, because it turned out to be the B-side. Oh, oh, okay. And I didn't know this was a problem. Now you're now you're like, now <laughs> it's, it's like Schrodinger's A-side. It may or may, may not be there. Well, then you're going to have to figure out what you want to do about that. So, okay, honestly, I don't even care, because I'm never going to play this record, probably. Right, right. It was more like, of I got it from my collection. It looks very you. nice. Why would I want to play it and risk ruining it? That's Although the thing I know that's that like a like, paradox, because... Why am I afraid of ruining it if I'm never going to be playing it? Well, that's the thing, though. It's like a design – from a design standpoint, it's a beautiful reissue. Like It's a, the nicest record in my collection, probably. The, the translucent red vinyl is super Red's pretty. my favorite color. And the other problem, Trevor, is that side C, uh, it seems like maybe half of the, the people posting about this online have major skip problems on side C. So the good news is, I guess, people on the, the Vinyl Me Please forum who may or may not be astroturfing shills for Vinyl Me Please are claiming that, uh, that if you email the company, if you have any of these problems with your copy, uh, they will send you another copy and not expect the defective one back even. So you'll just have two and one of them won't be good. Um, so what I recommend you do is, if you've got a copy of this, is check your copy uh, for playback speed against another commercial edition of the album to make sure that it's not faster. Definitely look at side C. Definitely make sure that you have an A side. And, and keep in mind, it's not a 100% across. Some people's records are fine. 
but you know, definitely check yours if you've got one. If you were planning on getting this edition, you got to kind of ask yourself. I mean, right now I think it's out of stock. Uh, but if they if they restock, I I would say maybe hold off. Um, unless, you know, well, there is the possibility that there'll be like a speculator's market for having like an errored copy, I guess. That's what I'm hoping happens, okay? I hope they reissue a perfect copy and the, you know, like limited release damaged Vinyl Me Please edition starts going for more than the <laughs> first pressings, which are like priced like golden dicks or something. It could be, it could be that. I mean, I, I feel like I'd be more willing to speculate on something like that if this was a pressing from like Warner. But the fact that it's this kind of weird upstart subscription vinyl services pressing makes me think, like, is that really notable that they just did a terrible job <laughs> putting these things out? Time will tell. Anyway, uh, definitely check yours out. And again, info at vinylmeplease.com. That's who you want to email. Um, and it seems like they're pretty legit about sending out replacements or at least a, a better working copy. So, Trevor, in a, in a shocking move... Gorillas decided to release their their storied smartphone app uh, ten days before the official launch date. In fact, just hours after our episode came out uh, last week, in the wee small hours of Sunday morning, uh, both the Android and the iPhone version went up. You can download it right now if you haven't. It's free. Uh, it gives you a sort of a virtual tour of Kong Studios. Uh, yeah, it's pretty neat. It really is like the like um, you know the new smartphone era equivalent of their like old Kong Studio sites. Yeah, exactly. And in fact, you know, if you poke around in there long enough, you do make it to a lobby area that reveals that you are in fact in Kong Studios, which is really interesting because I think last I remember, I believe it was destroyed. Is that true? Probably something like that. Yeah. But there's lots of little things to click on. You can go look at some weird off-site stuff, like there's a uh, a Murdoch YouTube playlist that I'm assuming they're going to slowly add things to. Right now, I believe it has an interview with Aleister Crowley on it, and that's it. <laughs> and just like in the uh, like Plastic Beach and Kong sites, you can actually hear little snippets of like isolated tracks from the uh, new album. Like I know there's uh, in, in Noodle's room, if you click on an amp, you can hear a guitar part from... Uh, I think it was Busted in Blue, maybe? Or Charger? No, it wasn't Busted in Bl- Charger, maybe. Yeah, I think it was Charger. Um, this is not really a complaint. But the one thing that kind of gave me pause is that uh, because all of these rooms are, are fully 360 now, uh, the elements, the clickable elements, are sort of spread out more. And uh, all the rooms feel a bit more sparse. And I kind of remember those old Kong Studio bedrooms as being just like clutter dumps of, you know, art and magazines and stuff and these all kind of feel a little bit more empty and open um you know maybe a little less visually interesting in that sense i kind of noticed that too i think uh my favorite thing to come out of the app so far trevor are these four playlists yeah that was cool so we've got these four new spotify playlists one for each member of the band i believe they're called g mixes is that mm-hmm. that sounds right to me you can actually just subscribe to them on spotify from the the gorillas band page they're really nicely curated like they had they they checked all the important details uh like for example there's definitely a human league song on the 2d playlist and yeah of course there is it's a nice litmus test for a gorillas fan which of these mixes you kind of personally gravitate towards, you know? Yeah, that is interesting. Uh, I personally thought that the Russell one was pretty legit. 
And then I guess based on some some hints that they're kind of dropping uh, in the app, it seems like we're going to get a new one of these every month for who knows how long into this phase. Yeah, so it'll be cool to see what they put on those in the future. But uh, if you're thinking, well, this app seems neat, but it sounds a little chintzy and disposable, and do I really have the space to download it? Stop that right now. Download this app because something is happening. Something crazy is happening in this app, Trevor. Uh, between April 21st and April 23rd, through the Gorilla smartphone app, you will be able to access something that is called the Humans House Party. Do you remember when we were first talking about this app, whoever it was at Parlophone who was, ta- who was like babbling about it said that it was like Pokemon Go? <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, that sounds like they were probably, you know, maybe a confused uh, 50-year-old person who was trying to explain... <laughs> Pokemon Go is the only app they're familiar with. <laughs> right. But what, that, what he was actually alluding to, I guess, is that there's going to be this uh, global listening party. You can hear all of humans. I don't think you'll hear the bonus tracks. I think you're just going to hear up through We Got the Power. That's my guess. That's not written anywhere. But anyway, you'll be able to hear the album in its entirety at some point between April 21st and April 23rd, depending on where you are. Uh, there's going to be 500 locations all across the globe. But yeah, I'm I'm assuming Trevor. I mean, you're obviously going to have access to one. They would not leave LA out of the mix for sure. Well, they did leave us out of those pop-up stores. Yeah, but 500 locations. How are they not going to get LA in there? And I'm going to crossed. And I'm also going to say that I think Houston will get one too. So I think both of us will be covered here. If there is one near me, I'll definitely be going, and I'll and I'll try to bring my little. Uh, mobile recording rig and see if I can get some Gorillaz fans to talk about their, their experiences there. I will also do that. Somebody I know actually just bought a field recorder. So, Oh, dope. Yeah, that'd be perfect. Yeah. Uh, and, and if you're listening to this show now and you are in the Houston or Los Angeles area and you're going to go to this party as well, drop us a line. Uh, uh, send us an email to, to hallelujahmonkeys at gmail.com. And we'll Tweet at us at Gorillaz Fancast. Do that too. And, uh, and we'll definitely hook up. We'll hang out and listen to that record together, right? Yeah. My only concern, Trevor, is that that app just sucks batteries down like a real it's – like it's like a real Blackula <laughs> in that uh, – or a Dracula, if you prefer, in that it just – it kills my battery life. So my, my only concern is like if the gyroscopic you know, virtual reality shit is active – while I'm supposed to be listening to that record, I'm worried that my shitty LG phone will not survive the length of that record. <laughs> Let's talk about what I guess would would count as the new Gorillaz music that we got this yes. week, Trevor. Song Exploder. Thank you. I love that podcast. I was always a big fan of that podcast. Um, if you haven't listened to this episode yet, you really must. It's Damon Albarn on Song Exploder talking about writing the song Andromeda, Talking about the themes, the lyrics, what happened in his personal life. I'm actually a little miffed about this because, I mean, way to show us up, right? (laughs) In our third episode, we managed to get an actual real live performer who was on the New Gorillas album. That's true. We were really happy with ourselves. Whereas this guy just, oh yeah, I interviewed Damon Albarn, got him to play some like exclusive rarities and stuff like that. Yeah, well, no big deal. You know, he's had like U2 on that show before. He's... You were wondering about the Dram feature? <laughs> now, Dram you're saying, but I believe he calls himself Drama in that interview. Is that a thing? What, whatever, man. 
Okay, well, here's the actual news that came out of that really lovely interview that you really should go listen to. Is that uh, it is a good episode of a podcast? Yeah, yeah, it's really dope, but it's not too long. You know, I admit begrudgingly. Uh, but but there's a deleted section from Andromeda, which is the more substantial drum dram feature that we don't get on the album version. Um, in fact, it's not too long. I'm just gonna let's just play it right now. Let's play that verse. Let's do it. What did you think of that that verse, the the extended drums section of that song? Well, this was one what I expected a drum feature to sound like on a Gorillaz album, right? And two, what I wanted Andromeda to sound like after my first listen to, listen of it, because I was initially underwhelmed by the kind of lack of drum on the track. Right, right, right. I thought he would have like a you know guest feature this prominent, but now like. Now that I've grown to appreciate Andromeda for what it is, I feel like it would be out of place. Yeah, I do think they made the right call here. Um, yeah, Andromeda really needs to be a Damon, you know, for all intents and purposes, a Damon solo track, I think. Yeah, it would have kind of depersonalized it. I think using the little bridge that they did keep was was the right move, too. Perfect, um, yes. Like, absolutely the right choice. And, and I'm so happy that we have this this little snippet, you know, as a side thing that we can enjoy for its own value, for sure. Uh, but also in that interview, very interestingly, he mentions that there were at least um, two other versions of Andromeda. With a, One had a Rag and Bone Man feature, uh, and the other featured the band Christine and the Queens. I suppose any of these alternate versions will be in play for the, for the deluxe vinyl edition with the, with the alternate versions of every track. So I know that there was a huge stereo gum feature uh, for Gorillaz this this week, and I kind of messed up and forgot to read it before our show. But maybe you can just kind of take me through the the broad strokes of it. Yeah, I read it. Uh, I read it last night. It's a really good look into the current state of Gorillaz. I think you should definitely go out and read it. Um, I'm only going to talk about a few points from it. The big takeaway was that. Uh, Damon views Gorillaz as his American band, which I thought was very interesting. I saw that quote being passed around, and you know, that's very interesting. That made me think about the fall, actually, quite a bit, as the kind of quote. You know, it's interesting that you bring that up, because the um, the author of the interview said that, well, one, the author of the interview has heard the album, so that's kind of cool. Um, and he said that, at first listen, the Gorillaz album that it most recalls is the fall. Oh, weird. Weird. Yep. That's crazy. There was another interesting quote uh, from Damon, taken from around uh, when he was touring... Everyday Robots, yeah, where somebody was asking him about the future of Gorillaz and obviously a little bit annoyed about that. He said that the only thing that makes Gorillaz different than my other stuff is I only use synthesizers. Hmm. Is that true? I feel like that's not true. I think that there's a, a, a few gentlemen, one of them's name is Simon Tong, who would probably <laughs> bristle at that comment slightly. <laughs> I mean, whenever I listen to Gorillaz, I'm surprised by how many more organic instruments I'm able to recognize on a track. I mean, I, I definitely think that the synth is a, is a big upfront component of that band's sound, for sure. Totally. But a lot of 
Gorilla's music sounds like it could also be played by a band, and it has been in the past. Yeah, for sure. Well, I thought it was an interesting uh, quote because in the Song Exploder interview, he also says that there are no acoustic instruments or no real instruments on humans. It's all synths and drum machines. Right, and, and, I, and I think that that plays into his whole idea of it being a party record, and I was trying to like think through the uh, tracks that we have to think of like an obvious example that would uh, contradict that statement, and I couldn't really. I couldn't really. No, yeah, this any. does seem to be a very electronic album. Yeah, which I'm down for. I'm all for it. Yeah. I mean, Plastic Beach was already a big step in that direction. It definitely was. It definitely yeah. was. Trevor, we had to put it off for a week, but we finally made it. Thank God. Thank God we're here. Let's get into our review and, and dissection, our, our <laughs> post-mortem of, uh, of Demon Days. Let's do it. Before we even really start talking about the record, Trevor, I know that this, I believe, was really your gateway into being a Gorillaz fan. It was, and to this day, it is my favorite album of all time. Well, wow, <laughs> that's a big statement. I, I like it a lot. I want to know. I want to know some specifics. How did you get into this record? Like, what hooked you in? Uh, the Feel Good Inc. video on like MTV Two or Fuse or something. Had you heard of the fact that there was a virtual band called Gorillas before that moment? I had seen the Clint Eastwood video on Toonami when I was eleven. But I wasn't really quite into music yet, so I just thought it was kind of a, just thought it was like a cool oddity. I mean, the first like two months I spent with uh, Demon Days and the self-titled, I wasn't really aware of who was behind the band or the project. That's interesting. So it was a little bit probably a purer experience. What what? Give me a little bit of a perspective. Like, what is it like to discover the self-titled after you've gotten into the band through Demon Days? What does that record sound like? Ooh, it definitely sounded a little uh, looser, a little messier, right? Broader, right. less you know, less tight. So last week, Trevor, I picked three words. I like tried to come up with three adjectives that I felt like uh, uh, described the self-titled album to me. Um, I tried it again this week, and I think it's slightly diminishing returns. I don't think I nailed it on the head quite as good, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm still going to throw them out there. So the first one, okay. So here are the three words that describe Demon Days to me. Uh, the first word is cautionary. Uh, the second word is dense. And the third word is restrained. Well, I think I get the first two. How about you expound a little more on uh, restrained? Because I'm, I think that might uh, be a good lead-in for something I'd like to talk about. Yeah, so what really got me thinking about this was the vocal direction that Damon takes on this album. Uh, he he equates his sort of talk singing to being inspired by Ian Dury and the Blockheads, but if you listen to Ian Dury, he was pretty up tempo. Like he was really trying to make kind of talking disco music, whereas Damon is is kind of sighing and and almost groaning his way through a lot of his delivery uh, on Demon Days, and then there are just these little moments where that that kind of facade cracks and these these really raw emotional things happen you know but for the most part he's very buttoned down it's very stiff upper lip it's very like i love that because the word i want to answer restraint with is muted i think both in terms of damon's performance i think in the production i think damon and danger mouse here were on such a 
perfectly synced up level because the music, and I think uh, Jamie was also on that same exact level because if you look at the um, the kind of color palette he goes with on the album co- cover, I think it's a really good representation of the way the music sounds. That's a really good point. Yeah, kind of kind of washed out brownish tones, you just know? like deep maroons and purples and kind of navy blues. That's what I that's what I see when I listen to this album. It's interesting you point that out because I feel like there's almost a half formed motif on this record of the element of earth. It doesn't quite show up enough I think to be to be smack you in the face obvious, but I was kind of pondering that as I listened to this record this time about how there's kind of like the you know the the ancient elements of of earth and water and fire and and ether uh and air and how uh, if Demon Days is the Earth album, then Plastic Beach is the Water album, and perhaps Humans is the the Ether album because of the space stuff that's happening in it. That's really interesting, and I definitely can see the recurring Earth imagery, such as in the uh, course of Feel Good Inc., entirely through Fire Coming Out of the Monkey's Head. Yeah, Monkey's a big one, and O Green World, mm-hmm. of course, another one. Definitely O Green World. Yep. I will say right now, I, I without hesitation, Demon Days is one of my five favorite albums of all time. I don't know if I can give it top spot necessarily number one baby and i also wanted to read something uh a quote from damon before we got into this i revisited this old damon interview from around the time that demon days came out uh with some publication called notion magazine um and he talked about the train ride uh that he took through the the chinese countryside with his daughter and his partner that really inspired him to make this album what it was what he got out of that train ride essentially was that he he traveled through what seemed like an endless expanse of like ruined land dust bowl abandoned decrepit rundown land and he got back to england and it was like blue skies and green grass and he realized that in the west like we live in this world where it seems to be impossible that that kind of death is coming for us. But in his opinion, it very much is. And ignoring that it's coming is a fatal mistake. And that is so central to the theme of this record. Definitely uh, brings us back to the word cautionary. And I want to uh, add on to that. I One word I would use to describe this album is harrowing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, yeah, there's there's a chicken little element almost. Damon, Damon, Damon legitimately sounds like he believes the world is ending. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's going to happen. These are the demon days. He, he offers several possible, possible ways throughout the record that it might. <laughs> we might all be destroyed by some kind of lava monkey god. Yeah, man. Let's, let, let's like get into it. I feel like I want to talk to you about the intro track. What do you want to say? Well, I want to say this is, I think the only really glaringly obvious sample on the record. It definitely is a change in tone from the last one in that regard. Yeah, for sure. Here's something that's weird. Okay, so to kind of prepare for this, Trevor, I decided, I found out that if you go to like the official YouTube uploads of these songs, you can see like really detailed personnel credits for each track. Yeah, that is really cool. I got to look more into that. It is really cool. And you get much more than you get in the liner notes. And uh, I, I just took a few notes throughout the record, not on every song, but just when something jumped out to me as weird or interesting, I, I clipped it. For example, uh, here's something kind of funny. Jamie Hewlett gets a, a performer and a producer credit <laughs> on every track. 
And the only reason that that would be is for royalty purposes, obviously. <laughs> like the Interesting. Whole- I had something I wanted to ask you about uh, the Gorillaz personnel around this time. Do yeah. you know um, the name of the bass player who performed on this record? Oh, my gosh. Yes, I do. And it is a bit of a shock. Uh, Morgan Nichols. There's Morgan Nichols shows up on Feel Good Inc. And uh, I believe November has come and one other track. And then every other track with with live track bass, it is played by Jason Cox, the the longtime Gorillaz and Blur engineer Jason Cox holding it down uh, on many of the tracks as a bass player. Now, do you think Morgan Nichols is a real name because it is suspiciously close to Murdoch Nichols. Nichols. I can't, I can't say because I don't know how the, I don't know how that works. I don't know how that shakes out legally. (laughs) Like Like, I I just, I just like to think of like Damon in a restaurant or something like in a fast food restaurant and he's waiting for his order, waiting for his name to be called. And he hears like order number 63, uh, Morgan Nichols. And he just turns his head. He's like, Morgan Nichols? He's like, he runs up to him, do you play an instrument? Yeah, yes, I play bass guitar. And he just spirits him away back to the recording studio. That's so funny. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It could be a legit person. I didn't do any Googling, so I'm not sure. Morgan Nichols, if you're listening, uh, tweet at us. We'd love to have you on the show. Here's, here's what I don't like about the credits for the intro track, Trevor. No Roots Maneuver credit on this uh, track. And I think that's a think- little fucked up. Because I think that's because they never found out who put the chemicals in the food chain. Well, it was Roots Maneuver. He did. And if you haven't seen that, I believe it's from a Bananas outtake. Uh, you can see some behind-the-scenes footage of a, a song that never came to be from these sessions called Snakes and Ladders. Uh, and you can hear Roots Maneuver do his really cool rap for that song, which included the, the sampled lyric, who put the chemicals in the food chain, which I always enjoyed his delivery because it sounded a little Cosby-esque to me. <laughs> Didn't that end up becoming a Martina Topley bird song? It did. Uh, Soldier Boy. Soldier Boy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can hear you can hear that version of the song too, which isn't bad. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Yeah. One of the few. One of the few featuring Gorillaz tracks. But it feels like if Don Harper, the dude who made that song from Dawn of the Dead, that sampled an intro, gets a, a credit of some sort on that track, right? Yeah, Roots Manuva should have gotten one, right? Yeah. Why not? Not that much to say about intro, otherwise. <laughs> No, cool track. It was cool to see it uh, performed live with like all the uh, wind instruments. That was neat. Yeah, that let's was talk cool. about "Last Living Souls" because this is actually my favorite song on the record. I love this song. I mean, it's not it my. Is. It doesn't quite make my top three, but I but I recognize it as like one of the central songs in this album. It is the perfect uh, synthesization of like everything that is pretty about this record, everything that is dark about it, everything that's playful about it. I think, and just the way that it moves. I want to talk a lot about how these songs move because they're all so like unique and just weird. It goes through so many different phases with the opening drum machine. And then that, is that like a super like bit crushed guitar or something that keeps, Oh yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It might be a synth. It might be a, a super affected guitar. I'm not sure. And the bass line on this track, Murdoch Nichols is honestly my favorite bass player. <laughs> He's really good. I, I can't He's remember. really good. I do think it's really interesting that 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 little bit of dialogue at the end of the intro that says you are now entering the harmonic world is followed by like this ticking drum beat, David Albarn not singing at all, this like this two note repeating bass line, like it's so not harmonic. It's just like it's skeletal, sparse, dark, you know. Uh, but then halfway through, the song just takes off into that acoustic part. Yeah, so that happens, I believe, 
I can think of really three moments on this record where we we kind of leave an atonal place and end up in this really like melodic acoustic guitar driven section um mm-hmm. and uh and it's used to great effect in this song and i've even heard like not that uh long ago i've even heard some like naysayers refer to this as like the intro song of the album which i really don't buy at all <laughs> what do you mean it's too dismissive to call it an intro song i think it's uh, okay yeah i would definitely agree with that i think it's one of the focal songs of the record that's how i think one of my one of my favorite parts of this song that was like the very end when kind of all you're left with for like the last eight bars is like this kind of the tr- like the song almost turns into like a dub version of itself for a second where it's just like drums and like this bass part that you realize the entire time has kind of been playing like at a reggae kind yeah, of yeah 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 there is like a little bit of a swing of a beat switch that that brings out some of the weird syncopated elements of it's the, so of cool the and it feels like a direct throwback to uh, the fir- the sound of the first album, like the dub influences are still here, despite the music sounding very different. Well, structurally, over and over and over again on this record, there are some amazing outros. Like, so many of these tracks have such good outros. Speaking of great outros, Kids With Guns. Kids With Guns. Kids With Guns, which is like this deceptively simple first hemisphere of a song that then just takes off into this like yep. crazy soundscape. Again, starts off very restrained, very muted. I really like the read of the lyrics of this song because I think when I when in 2005 when I picked up this record I, I took this at face value as being about the imagery of a kid with a gun, uh, but I think it's it's pretty intentionally about nuclear proliferation and definitely I mean that's clearer in this era than ever yeah for sure and the idea you know if you putting a, a a nuclear bomb in the hand of a of a head of state is like putting a gun in the hand of a toddler, more or less. Mm-hmm. There is definitely um, a corruption of the youth aspect of it as well, though. What do you think about sequencing these first two songs right next to each other like this? Because they really do have a lot in common. It's definitely they kind of create a very slow start to the album, though. I feel like. Yeah, because there's all. I remember the first time I I played the record. Uh, I remember getting to the song and being like, "So is this the sound? Like this is the sound now." You've got right. you've got a you've got a sort of a sighing, uh, dour Damon Albarn who's going to sort of talk me through this this kind of wasteland. Uh, the the Nena Cherry feature. Uh, do you think that that's like an intentional salt and pepper nod, or is that just coincidental? Am I reading into that? I was going to ask you the same question. Is is the fact that another rap group said the words "push it real" in a breakdown? You know. They also said push it real good, so maybe, I don't know. Well, Nina Cherry definitely holds it down on the outro. Oh, she has a producer credit on this uh, song also, and I think, I'm going to speculate, that that means that she tracked her own vocals elsewhere, uh, and that makes her a producer. That's my guess. Interesting. Also, Brian Burton, this is the first uh, track on the album that he gets a composer credit on. Um, Danger Mouse, of course. Obviously a very hands-on collaborator on this record. Uh, I don't believe Dan the Automator had any composer credits on uh, uh, the self-titled. I really wish I knew how, like, exactly what Danger Mass's input was to this record. Me too. Me too. I mean, I think, well, you know what? If you're done talking about Kids With Guns, we could speculate pretty, pretty heavily about that on this next track. 
Oh, Green World, which fucking rules. Like, yeah. I feel like this is the underrated track on the album. Well, I feel like this is one of the first times that, like, there's a crack in the veneer of Damon's, like, emotionally muted performance. Uh, Definitely. That's, oh, that moment towards the end the when he kind of, like, cries out, you know, it feels holy. is yep. like this, oh, that's such a chilling moment. But I wanted, to, I wanted to talk to you about Danger Mouse's, like, the kind of style that he brought to this record. Because, um, I mean, at this point, he was really known as a mashup artist. Uh, the Grey Album. Coming off the Grey Album. Do you like the Grey Album? I, yeah, do I? I think at the time, I really liked it. But I feel yeah. like, to the extent that I like any mashup music now, it's it's got to be kind of subversive in a way that, that's a little beyond both of these albums have a color in their name. Right. But I do think that it's really interesting that, that Danger Mouse, this is like his first really le- real legit big budget producer gig. And he said that he was like learning every day on the job how to produce a record. Um, I, I do think it's interesting on this, this track especially, you can kind of hear that like his approach to producing a song, it's, he has a very mashup style. Like all the elements that come together in O Green World, they don't feel like a band that got together and jammed these things. They feel like little parts were grabbed individually and they were jigsawed together in a way that worked. I definitely can see that perspective on it, especially because the song really does have two distinct parts that kind of interplay with each other. Well, that's also weird too, because like halfway through the song, basically the intro just starts over. I know, but I feel like it's so much cooler as a little interlude. Like when I first listened to the song, I almost kind of, I kind of want to get through that part just because I'm ready for it to start. But then once the kind of actual meaty part of the song where like the guitar and Damon's vocals kind of get like whisked away almost in the middle. Yeah. And that kind of weird little electronic kind of jam comes in. That's really cool. You got that crow sound effect. That's that's super interesting too. I wonder what the the origin of that sample is. And I, and again, I just think that whole, what is it? It's like drugs and, and sex and hope rust into me wholly like mm-hmm. the the idea of equating hope as 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 destructive of a of a an opiate as as drugs and sex is like a really pointed moment well these were the pre-obama years <laughs> yeah for sure no kidding but obviously this is a, another example of the, the kind of dying earth motif that we'll see a time and time again on this record Okay, well, uh, we gotta talk about Dirty Harry. Yeah, I was, I was, I was gonna let you start this one. I have a complicated relationship with this song. Why? Um, because I didn't like this song very much at first. Uh, I always found the hook to sound a little too, a little too simple, a little too nursery rhyme. Um, and there's something about the beat of this record. I wish that it had more middle. Like, I feel it's very, there's a lot of treble and there's a lot of bass and there's not a lot of middle. Um, and especially when Booty comes in, I feel like he has such a distinctive and you might even say sort of nasally delivery that mm-hmm. uh, is great on a lot of Far Side records that I don't think is given its, its just desserts on this track because of that beat. This one does sound a little tinny, I think, but that's like also kind of its charm. Like it's got this kind of really planked out kind of like almost like Casio kind of synth part to it. Like it sounds like a, it sounds like a song you could hear like playing from a boombox in the middle of like an Iraq desert. 
And I gotta say, I do like all of the instrumental elements that are there. Like, I like the, I do like that synth line. I don't, I don't know how I feel about the San Fernando Youth Chorus in this track, to be honest. What don't you like about them? Do you feel like it's a little too like, oh, uh, kids are singing about guns? I guess maybe now, because you know, I actually don't mind that because it, that is kind of an established image in in kids with guns. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of, I kind of. I, I can go with it conceptually. I just think sonically it doesn't do a lot for me, especially like because you know Damon's with them on the first refrain, but mm-hmm. then he's not with them on the next one. It's just like this kids chorus singing, right. and it just doesn't quite work for me. It feels really on the nose, is what I was implying when I said kids singing about guns. <laughs> yeah, it is a little bit on the nose. That's true. Damon is a fan, especially on this album, of doing things on the nose. I mean, we'll talk about how Demon Days ends with a choir. Well, and I mean, as far as like allegorical writing goes, fire coming out of the monkey's head is not yeah. necessarily a masterclass in subtlety. It uh, is something that I actually had to re-get over as I kind of matured and got into more subtler music. I got into subtler music, <laughs> right? Right. Like, uh, uh, yeah, you start to you start to enjoy a little bit more abstract writing. I will say though, Trevor, I I went back and listened through Demon Days Live again this week. I much prefer that live version of this song to the re- to the album version. I think that okay. I like that the way the kids' vo- voices are mixed more uh, on that live version. Um, I feel like the live band does fill out that middle uh, a lot better, and also just the charm of the kids doing the dance and stuff really mm-hmm. carries propels that that song forward uh, for me too. You want to talk about the "Keep Myself from Harm" versus "Keep Myself Among" controversy? <laughs> Yeah, sure. What do you make of that? Because I think this was Damon just like, you know, bullshitting his way through this encounter. Yeah. Do you so, wanna, what's the story again? So the story is there's this amazing scene, one of the best scenes of the movie Bananas, the documentary Bananas, uh, where a person has cornered Damon. I don't think she gets an on-screen credit, but she seems to be like some kind of a community leader person who is confronting Damon Albarn backstage before one of the Harlem shows. Or was it one of the... No, it was one of the Manchester... I don't know what it was. Confronting him about his... his I need a gun to keep myself from harm and having the kids sing it. Uh, and how that sounds like it really advocates gun ownership. Uh, she thought it was just inappropriate. Right. She didn't like it. And you get to see David like, stammer <laughs> and stumble his way through trying to get out of it. And his ba- the main crux of his, his uh, argument is that it's not, the lyric is not to keep myself from harm, it's to keep myself among, uh, which I don't think it is. <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> if you really squint when you listen to the record, you can almost hear it that way. But then even she like holds up a lyric sheet that she had somehow gotten and says, but here it says to keep myself from harm. And then David like becomes outraged. He's like, who printed that? That's not the lyric. Oh, so funny. I do think that, that Booty Brown's verse is, uh, is fantastically written. I think he tells it that scream that he opens it with. What a memorable performance. And, and, you know, maybe a little, again, on the nose politically, referencing mm-hmm. some pretty specific events of the times. This is as political as the album gets, I think. At least as explicitly political as yeah, it gets. Yeah, as overtly political. Um, yeah. But uh, but this is a theme, man. There are no bad rap features on this record. 
I don't know that I could say the same for Plastic Beach, but we'll get into it. Okay. Feel good ink. Feel good ink. The big yeah, one. Man. This is, this is, I mean, what can you say? What can you say? Well, actually, I, like, the last couple times I've listened to this song, it has sounded completely different to me than it ever has in the past for some reason. Like, yeah, it's just, speak to that. It's such a weird song, okay? It's, you've got, do you know what it, do you know what the closest parallel I can think of for some reason is? And this is going to be a really outside reference, I think, for most Gorillaz fans. It sounds like fucking Sultans of Swing by Dire Straits. Oh, weird. Do you do you see? It's got the same kind of atmosphere. It's got the same kind of like almost lazy guitar playing during the verses. And then for, you know, the chorus, everything kind of drops out and it almost becomes this like mariachi tune. And then you come back in with that De La Soul verse and... I don't know, man. This is a this is a weird ass track. So this is this is still the most successful Gorilla song and the most widely known Gorilla song. The, my big takeaway listening to it again is how central the three main elements of this song were to making it a hit. Like the bass line and the windmill chorus and the De La Soul verse are all lifting equal weight, making this song into a huge hit. Definitely. Like all three of those elements are equally memorable equally catchy equally hooky it's kind of like no wonder that this was such a monster uh of a song uh i do want to just take one quick moment to point out that if you are a person who has ever heard another rapper use the phrase don't stop get it get it and said oh they're quoting de la soul from deal good ink no no definitely not (laughs) that is from i wanna rock by luke it's a great song it has a great video uh, some some awesome either late 80s or early 90s rap you should go watch that video uh, don't stop get it get it it's an important moment in hip hop history what do you think of the windmill chorus because it has always stuck out to me as something so weirdly distinct about the song it really makes me think of like the hippie movement and love-ins it is so impressionistic I think we talked about uh, when we were talking about the self-title about how Damon kind of writes from his id a little bit when he works with gorillas. Right. And I think this is the perfect example of this because I have no idea what any of what he's saying means. Windmill, windmill, for the land, turn forever, hand. Like, it's just nonsense phrases, but he's able to convey these, like, powerful images of, like you said, the earth. And just he's able to get his meaning across through these almost like nonsense phrases. It feels like an oasis from whatever it is that's encroaching on the rest of the song in the verses. Such uh, a visually striking video. Yeah, well. re- really, Maybe really Maybe the nice. best Gorillaz video. My personal favorite would be Clint Eastwood, I think, but that that video just does not have the amount of things going on in it and the attention to detail that this one has. Like the scenes inside the tower... Yeah, it's a really excellent synergy of, of mm-hmm. I think, didn't uh, in the Q Magazine article, uh, Damon explained their partnership is like, when we're on the same page, there's a real alchemy. And this is a perfect example of that alchemy. Totally. Um, the only other interesting thing is that there's, a, in the credits, uh, the composer credit for the rap is just David. It's just Trugoy, the dove. So Paz does not get any, any uh, composer credit on this record. Weird. So I guess maybe Dave wrote that whole verse and pa- and Paz just came in to, to lay down his side of it. Shall we talk about El Manana? El Manana. Weird choice for a single. Definitely. I kind of get it, but I don't know. I would have probably gone with um, 
We'll talk about November Has Come, but I think that would have been an obvious choice. Yeah, November Has Come. Even I think there's a few songs on this album that I think might have done a little bit better. Uh, I mean, it was a dual A-side, right? Wasn't Kids With, with Kids Guns. With Guns. Another weird choice for a Another single. odd choice. Uh, yeah. I feel like El Manana is one of the more straightforward tracks on this album, just at least structurally speaking. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, also, I, in terms of like subject matter, I mean, is this one of probably the only Gorillaz love songs, right? Yeah, I mean, you could argue perhaps the next track is also something of a love song, but with, with a few more complex undertones to it, maybe. Yeah, okay. You know what I don't love about El Manana is that little jazzy electric piano riff that keeps showing up in it. The that shows up. Okay, yeah. I'm not crazy about that. I like that. I think it's pretty cool. That's one of those Brian Burton mashup-y moments that maybe doesn't all 100% work for me. But I do love, again, this is such a good outro album. When the strings start to come in, Yeah. so good. I really like the beats on this album, too. They're very complex and very fast-moving. We see that a lot nowadays, like in trap music. But I think here it's just like it's such a busy percussion track yeah uh, courtesy a lot of times from uh james ding who does most of the drum programming on this record um, interesting i would have expected it to be uh, danger mouse yeah me too but but usually he gets a drums and programming credit so you could basically take that as drum line by james ding probably yeah El Manana, yeah, it is it is a pretty it's a pretty straightforward love song unless i'm really missing something it's it probably is. actually about uh, Damon's relationship with Graham Coxon and how, uh, you know, their artistic falling out has resulted in, yeah. <clears throat> Let's talk about Every Planet We Reach is Dead because this is my second favorite song on the album. This is my, this is in my top three. This is so good. Like, I love this. I love this song. I love that this is, this comes in the exact middle of the album because it is definitely one of the darkest parts of the journey. So it's the bluesiest gorilla song in my opinion. There is kind of a love song element to these lyrics i think a little bit yeah i I think it's more of just kind of a picture of hopelessness in general yeah i to me i kind of like wrote wrote down like love in the end times (laughs) Mm -hmm. yep that the picture i'm a dreamer lyric and the the melody that surrounds it is like one of my favorite moments on any gorilla song it's so good so good and i mean down to the sleepy glow the only thing that i wish about this track is that they'd gotten anybody else besides ike turner to play that little electric keyboard part because fuck ike turner he's a he's a a violent shithead and i know he's dead and you shouldn't speak ill of the dead or whatever but like what a piece of shit and his contribution to this track i'm gonna say it not that much like the things that are the outro of this song is like one of the sonic highlights of the whole record it might be the sonic highlight of the record. And what Ike Turner is adding to it, to me, is so minimal. I have to disagree with you. I'm Ugh. sorry. I know I know he's a terrible person, but I think he holds it down on this song. And I think his, uh, that explosatory, I know that's not a word, but you know, Damon <laughs> makes one up in Fire Coming Out of the Monkey's Head. So, so I'm going to use explosatory performance during the outro on the piano. It's just, I think elevates to the song to a new level Ah, maybe i'm maybe i'm just allowing personal politics it took me a while to even hear it because it's so in the mix yeah it is buried a little bit it is just cacophonous though the like this track breaks by the end 
I love the I love the entire back half of the song so much. Like, and I really love that little kind of almost weird wheezing noise that we're left with at the end. I know it technically. Do you know, do you know the part of the song? I'm yeah, talking the, about? the yeah, yeah. It, I know that's playing throughout, but when it's so isolated at the end, it almost sounds like part of the song has like broken, and that's the noise that it makes now. Yeah, so crazy, right? Like, mm. I, I God, I love that whole. I would play the last half of the song for like. Anybody who's only heard the singles from this band to open up. I mean, the whole the whole track is good. It comes in with such a like powerful stomp. Every Planet Reach is Dead, obviously another uh, another entry in the Dying Earth <laughs> motif of this album. Yeah, uh, but yeah, absolutely top three on the record for me. Love that song. November has come. This is my third favorite song on the album. It's almost to my top three. It doesn't quite rounding get out my top three. It almost gets there, but it doesn't quite. Uh, I do think that this is like one of the top three MF Doom performances ever recorded. When did you realize that this was just a uh, Danger Doom track that Damon sang on? Well, I, I, around the time that Danger Doom was announced, I had my, I had my suspicions. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because the, it, it definitely he's rapping with using a lot of the same themes that he uses. Uh, on Danger Doom, which Danger Doom is kind of like an album about him calling out the rap scene, you know? A little bit. There's At least that's one of the main themes. And that's one of the main themes of this trap, track as well. Like, it's it's sort of like not a specific beef track. It's more like a beef against the entirety of, of rap culture. Doom's the villain. God, I love the rhyme scheme. It's so dense. Like, if you tried to write it out A-A-B-B-C-C style, it would be maddening. Like, he's just... Yeah, he's... MF Doom is one of my favorite artists, and after we get through like all there is to talk about gorillas, and we have to start reaching for material to like fill the podcast out, I'd love to do an entire like MF Doom centric episode. Oh, it'd be cool if we like brought in our top five Doom tracks or something. It'd be great. Yeah, we could go. Th- he has a dense catalog, and this ver- this is honestly maybe my favorite MF Doom verse. It's so good. Like it's got to be top three, right? Like it's it's such a good distillation of everything that he does so well. I also want to point out that I do think November has come is a reference to the referring to somebody being in the November of their years or the November of their life. I think he's he's sort of gently referencing his apocalyptic motif here, talking about November has come in the sense of like, you know, we're December is upon us. Like we're almost. I had never thought about that, but now I honestly appreciate the track even more. So thank you for that interpretation. I love that hook. That's a great hook. Yeah, very like very soulful and really elevated by the amazing the backing uu vocals. Yeah, I love the little. Um, if you listen really close at the end, you can hear Damon kind of singing along to the guitar. He goes like, bow, 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 bow. Yeah, that's such a great moment. That. That's so playful, so good, uh, and 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 like kind of a stylistic break from the sort of ad libbing yes. he's been doing on the record so far. Yeah, this is one of gone. the this is one of the more fun tracks on the album, I think. We don't have a lot of negative things to say about this record, Trevor. No. <laughs> You'd almost think it was like my favorite record of all time or something. You want to talk about All Alone? <laughs> Let's talk about All Alone. Uh, I love this song. I love this song. I almost think that this song could have been a single. I know it's weird, but it almost Yeah, could have been. I, don't, I don't know about that. But it is, again, this a great case for talking about how interesting the way the movement of these songs is. I think my just... favorite my favorite rap moment on this entire record is Roots Manuva going, La Viti Castle, Duke Karatamai. 
just like slaughtering the pronunciation of a couple of, of Bible books. It is so good. He, he, I love Ritz Manuva's performance on this song. What an amazing verse. It's such a monster verse, dude. Interesting you say monster because is he saying Return of the Ogre or is he saying We Turn Up the O God? I think he's saying We Turn Up the O God. He might be saying Return of the Ogre. I can hear both now. Bounce, bounce, wiggle, wiggle. <laughs> yeah, that's an amazing verse. And this is another of those uh, uh, moments like in Last Living Soul where you come out of this really noisy atonal thing and have this like sudden clear melodic burst of singing an acoustic guitar and the Mar- Martina Topley Bird uh, It's section. transcendent. Beautiful, beautiful uh, section of that song. And Martina also has a, a producer credit on this record. Could mean that she tracked her own vocals. Could mean that maybe she... You know, offered a little bit of extra input that they thought helped the track. It's cool to see them working with such a, um, you know, a legend in the trip hop scene because that sound was really um, integral to their, very influential on them. I think all alone is so cool. Like I almost felt like I remember when I was feeling frustrated around Phase Two that they had just selected El Manana as the last single in the last video, and just thinking like, okay, I know that All Alone isn't a hit, <laughs> but. <laughs> If they'd come up with a cool visual representation of all the different sounds that are happening in this uh, song, it would have been such a cool video to watch. Definitely. Here's a weird credit. Simon Tong is credited on this al- on this track, not for playing the guitar, not for uh, shaking a maraca, which I believe he's credited on in one song. He gets a composer credit on this track and no other credit. Huh. What do you think he wrote? I don't know. Like I'm, that's, I can only speculate... I guess maybe it's because here's the thing that acoustic uh, behind Martina, I'm almost certain is Damon because of, I think there's footage of him playing it. So I don't know what Simon would have written on this track. I have no idea. That's so weird to think like, what is there in here for him to have written? Does he do a lot maybe of, he wrote that little bleepy bloopy synth line. Who that'd knows? be cool. That'd be cool. Yeah. When we get him on the show, we'll have to ask him. Definitely. That's going to be the first question we ask Simon when we... Or, you know, we could really just ask Damon when we get him on the show, because yeah, he probably remembers. I mean, he, he he seems to be doing a podcast circuit tour, so I'm sure we're next. Yeah, we're next. I'm sure we're next. We'll be getting that email any minute now. <laughs> All right, let's talk about White Light. Yeah, this is pretty cool. Not my favorite song on the album, but I can't imagine it being anybody's. It's, a, it's just a little undercooked for me, man. I, I feel like... Because of the big epiphany that I had about this album, which we'll get to in a couple of songs, I felt irritated with this song for not just being on D-sides. Like, I feel like the only reason that this song is on this record is to check Damon Albarn's stupid little box about how every album needs to have a punk song on it. Fucking hate that box, man. Like, why? The live version, I think, is better than the album version because there's a lot it is with um with the choir that really brings the track to life i agree uh i don't think that whole interlude with the little angelic chorus works at all oh i like that's my favorite part of the song i think on its own it sounds pretty i just don't it doesn't work for me as a gear shift moment and and i really like in the live version because rather than being a quiet kind of interlude the choir really bursts in and it is a very cathartic moment. Yeah, I agree. It's it's much better. Yeah. Uh, Doesn't translate setting. as well to the record. I just don't think it b- belongs on the record. Like I think it would yeah. have been a cool track on D sides. I just don't think it 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 certainly doesn't advance any themes. <laughs> I mean, maybe it it reinforces the theme of of using opiates to dull the senses. Maybe. Yeah, definitely. I think 
it plays its part in that respect. I guess, I guess. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I like, I was always a little bit of an apologist for this song because it kind of got bad mouthed as the weakest track on the record, which it is, I think. Yeah, it is. But, but having a more connected experience to the themes of this record this time, I felt, I felt annoyed <laughs> that White Light made the cut. And you know, uh, all alone into Dare. So let's start talking about Dare now. That would have been such a good aesthetic. Um, transition as well i think yeah right yeah you would have had like two interesting takes on dance music in a row um totally dare is definitely an interesting take on dance music though top three for me dare top three might be really might be number one on this record for me this is like wow almost the closest thing i think this project has has, for my taste has produced to a perfect pop song like i think that this is such a great take on synth pop it's such a it's such a sudden like explosion of sugar on this record and yet somehow it does not feel out of step with the mood of the record not at all i think for some reason this has always struck me as one of the darkest tracks on the album yeah even though it's like undeniably it's also very sugary like it's also quite sweet when i hear damon describe the new album as a party at the end of the world dare is what i think about because it sounds very apocalyptic although almost in a personal way you were talking about White Light being a song about using opiates to deal with pain. This song sounds almost like using kind of a debauched lifestyle to deal with pain. And I think Sean Ryder's presence on this track <laughs> is very really intentional. Is so intentional. This sounds like Damon in a club fucked up being kind of just antagonized by this manifestation of excess and debauchery and just the party lifestyle that so many people turn to to dull the pain of living in the demon days. Yeah, I never thought about the the sort of end of the world party humans connection with this track before. That's so on point. Um, mm-hmm. I did want to mention, I, I got a little bit like angry <laughs> listening to this song this time that uh, that Rosie Wilson doesn't get a feature credit. I don't like that. I think she's so central to the success of this song and... You know, if I could go back and give Miho Hitori a feature credit for 192000, I would definitely do that too. And I would definitely give Rosie Wilson a feature credit. I hate that she doesn't, she gets an additional vocals credit on this song. You know, we follow her on Twitter, and it, since Demon Days has come out, she has still struggled to get her debut album out. Like, her life would be so different right now if she had been featured artist on a UK number one song. And she should have been. Yeah. She has like 6,000 Twitter followers right now. It should be five times that. This was a massive hit in Europe. And uh, I feel like, I don't know, I just feel like they kind of did her dirty on this one. Yeah, a little bit. I didn't know about that. Some of the, the excuse that I hear for why she doesn't get that credit is like, well, it, in universe, this is Noodle's song. and I. And That's what I was just going to ask you. Do you think she's supposed to be Noodle here? I, I think she is supposed to be Noodle here, and I think that's also why Miho didn't get a specific credit uh, on 192000, even though that's a pretty featured vocal performance. But I kind of say, you know, fuck that. Like, when it comes down to actually crediting people who work on your music, you should tip your hat to your, your in-universe story, but credit the people who work on your songs like that's well here's the thing with gorillas and feature credits for me i do not tag any of the songs in my library as gorillas feet anybody right there's something about it like um context of this project that doesn't really feel right about that because i just consider anybody who 
works with gorillas to be in gorillas. I see that point of view for sure. I'm just talking about the specific politics and the money of that situation. She uh, didn't even get like a writing credit or anything? No, she just has additional vocals. That's the only credit she has on this track. Yeah, definitely did her a little dirty there. That's Damon, she's come on. So central to why this is such a good song. And it and it doesn't help that like the, right next to the name of the song is featuring Sean Ryder. And I mean, you know, you really could have picked any yokel yeah. off the street. <laughs> I mean, like a Sean Ryder feature. <laughs> I mean, she does lead vocals on this song. She absolutely does. Damon's in there, but he's way he's back buried in the mix. In the mix. You have to listen to uh, the DFA remix to hear him. Yeah, for sure. We are entering the final leg of this album now, the closing kind of triptych, if you will. Yeah, let me ask you about that. You, would you consider Fire coming out like the first part of a three-part suite here? Once upon a time, pretty much. Yeah, it definitely is. There was a town saying, you know, this is it. This is the end game that we're entering. Okay, so then let's talk about the track. Um, All right, for an album that is like pretty dark already very dark already i think this is kind of one of the darkest turns we take it's a song that explicitly ends with mass death the apocalypse <laughs> yeah um but even even uh even in addition to dennis hopper's uh telling of you know as we said this very on the nose story the track is so dark in an interesting way it's got this like little kind of almost demonic bounce to it yeah the bounce is almost clint eastwoody in a way uh a little bit a little bit. This song, I think, is I think it's really well executed. It doesn't necessarily hold up the way that the rest of the album does on repeat listens by virtue of the fact that it's a spoken word piece. <laughs> but that being said, I do think it's pretty. It's like as successful as it could have been. Uh, it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't stick out as much as you think it might on this record. Like they did a good job uh, incorporating it. I feel totally. I really love Damon's backing vocals on this song too. I want to know what you think about the two song interludes of this song. Um, I think the first one is pretty cool, and when the full instrumentation kind of drops back in, it's a very powerful moment. I think the second one is haunting. Definitely, it's very good. Although, I'm not sure how I feel about the lyric, Oh, Little Town of USA. Well, I think that that is very, very directly leading into the next track. But before we, before we get into that... Uh, this is, of course, another moment on that record where we come out of a very non-melodic moment into a burst of acoustic guitar and, and a very rich uh, chromatic melody. Mm-hmm. Where were you when it all came down on me? Uh, it is truly like teeing up the the thematic golf ball <laughs> that "Don't Get Lost in Heaven" is about to, to hit off. Um, "Don't Get Lost in Heaven," Trevor, I think, is really, really specifically informed by that train ride that uh, that Damon took. Like the fact that it's about like, look at this picture of urban decay. Now, quickly get into a cab and drive to suburbia and pretend that it's not happening. This thing is coming for us, and hiding in a, in a gated community from it is not going to keep you safe. Definitely. You could also read Don't Get Lost in Heaven as, as Don't Get Lost in, in Drugs. There's also some drug references on this uh, uh, track as well. That's, that was my initial reading of it. But now that you've uh, kind of uh, enlightened me as to that train, that train anecdote, I like that a lot as well. So there really have not been any calls to action on this record until now. Like there was no preaching happening on this record. It was just it's kind been of pretty hopeless. Yeah, just like an assembly line of different possibilities of how the world will destroy itself. Uh, and this starts the, okay, here's how we move forward section of the yes. record. So I listened to this initially on Spotify, where the crossfades were taken out. 
And the crossfade, taking the crossfade out fucks this song bad because the arrangement is so held back. It never has what you would call a drop. It stays very ethereal and uh, just kind of hangs on that little Brian Wilson-y piano uh, performance. It is also, with the exception of the intro, the shortest track on the album. Right. Even shorter than White Light. I feel like the reason that the that the the song was arranged that way is because it's really supposed to feel like a lead in to Demon Days. And yeah, I when definitely it, agree with that. When it gets its own fade out, it really that fucks that song <laughs> in a bad way. Mm-hmm. Like it makes you feel like, oh well that was kind of a weak effort as opposed to this is one part of a long song suite that we're in the middle of. Let's talk about Demon Days, the title track. Oh, uh, top three. Top three, dude. Yeah. What this, is your top three? Because I feel like we've gone through two of them. You got Dare, which is maybe number one. You got Demon Days. What's, the other one was Every Planet We Reach is Dead. We both were, okay. were, were on board cool, yes. And mine was Last Living Souls, Every Planet, and November. This song, like, came alive to me in the last two weeks of listening to this record to get ready for this episode. Because I feel like this is an album that was written by a man who genuinely believed that something terrible was going to happen to all of us and soon. Well, that it was already happening. Yeah, basically that, that it was we were in the process of, of the destruction of humanity and the Earth. Whether or not Damon's timetable for that is a little doomsaying and whether or not maybe he has a chicken little uh, uh, attitude about this kind of thing is beside the point because this album is in his world and in his world this is going to happen. Because before I came up with the word cautionary to describe this album, the word that I came up with was defeated. Because I just thought, yeah, this is an album where it's just, here's one way the world might end, here's another one it might end. But this is when we pull out of that nosedive. Mm -hmm. And when the chorus comes in, there's just something about that moment, you know, restating, it's so cold inside, you can't even trust the air you breathe. Pick yourself up, it's a brand new day, and turn yourself around... Uh, to the sun like the fact that this dude definitely thinks we're on a collision course with our own destruction and chooses to end this album with like such a hopeful moment it's a great juxtaposition as well to damon's own performance on this on this song which i don't think people really talk about enough his sort of honestly one of my favorite parts yes he's he's almost this playing like a flute in its upper register like he's crackling a lot and he's he sounds absolutely broken and spent after going through everything he's gone through on this album there's just so little of him left and it's just great to hear him get picked up by that big choir at the end it just makes me feel like demon days is like you've been visited by three ghosts in the night and they've that's shown exactly you exactly what it is like that's those <laughs> that's the gorillas they are the four ghosts that visit you at the night and then you wake you up you wake up end. the next morning and like you you have a fucking choice and you get to do it i'm emotionally overwhelmed by this song in a way that i you, never really on, was you, before you you run to the window and you cast it open and you, and you see a little child or you see damon alburn in the street how about and you go damon you you there what day is it and he goes what why sir it's it's demon day and then you tell him to go get you a chicken or whatever yeah yeah that's what keeps this album from here's why it's a perfect album if every song on this album was demon days it would be preachy and obnoxious 
And if every song on this album was fire coming out of the monkey's head, it would be dour and unlistenably sad. <laughs> and the way that it's sequenced and structured is so perfect. And this song is beautiful. And it, to me, it makes me feel the beating heart of Damon Albarn in a way that makes me respect him so much as a humanitarian. Yeah, I love this song. It just it came home for me in a way that it just never it never had before. Re-experiencing this album, feel, thinking about its themes. I think it's one of the most cathartic things you can experience musically. Yeah, I love it. Oh, I love it. Love it. What a great album. Love the whole album. And that's the album. We did it. We made it. This is such a good album. I don't think it's any secret that this is... You and I come together in believing that this is the peak of the of the project. This is the best. We're on the album. same page there. Yeah, definitely. Although, honestly, sometimes I sometimes I lean a little more towards Plastic Beach. So we'll talk about that next week. Plastic Beach is a complicated album, and I have complicated feelings about it. It's a complicated album, but I have gone through periods where I feel. Well, we'll talk about it. We will talk about it next week on our Plastic Beach episode. You at home. What do you think about Demon Days? What do you think about our, our, our hackneyed, arrogant opinions about Demon Days? What are your top threes? We want you to reach out to us. We want you to email us uh, at hallelujahmonkeys at gmail.com. We want you to hit us up on Twitter at gorillasfancast. You can even talk to us on Tumblr, uh, hallelujahmonkeys.tumblr.com. If you subscribe to us on iTunes, you should definitely leave us a little review. Let's get the conversation going. Yeah, let's talk about Demon Days, man. Let's get the discourse started. Surprisingly, it's, it's Doomsday themes uh, have not aged at all. <laughs> we seem yeah, to I mean, still they're more be pertinent than ever. on the precipice of exactly the same shit. So why don't you, why don't you uh, talk to us about that album, what it meant to you then, and what it means to you now? Uh, Trevor, I'm so excited to talk about Plastic Beach, uh, and I'm so excited that as we speak... We're 11 days away from the release of Humans. I know. I can't believe how close it is. Oh, my gosh. I have good feelings about this one, man. I think it's going to be a great album. Do you think we're going to hear anything more from the album before it drops? Well, we'll we're going to hear an unofficial drop from the, from the Humans house party. But if I had to guess, I don't think we're going to hear any more album cuts before then. Guess we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, if right. you're listening to this, by the way, the day that it drops, be sure to check the Gorillas app because I have a good feeling that Monday, Tuesday, somewhere in that range, we're going to get the big official announcement about where these uh, listening locations for the Humans House Party is going to be. Definitely likely. And once again, if you're in the L.A. area or the Houston area, be sure to reach out to us because we want to we want to kick it with you. Yeah, let's chill. Let's chill. Let's chill. Uh, we got wine coolers in, in our van. Come on in. Hang out. I don't have any of those. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> That's not how Hall- you're, you're making Hallelujah Monkeys sound like a far less above board project than it actually is. That's true. I'm kind of hoping. Here's my one hope for the, the human's house party, Trev. I want some swag. I want a button. I want a little postcard. Give me some swag. Want a t-shirt. Yeah, a t-shirt would be dope. Uh, all right, Trevor. Until next time, I'm Dylan Flynn. I'm Trevor Ickrath. Do you got something for us? Come on, hit us. I think we should just use Don't Get Lost in Heaven this time, right? Although we kind of... Um, did we use that in episode one, though? I think we did, yeah. Uh, uh, wait, wait, wait. What about... Can I do one? Yeah, go ahead. Please, feel free. There was no time. <laughs> the mountain called Monkey had spoken. There was only fire. And then nothing. <laughs> See you next week. <laughs> That's the most depressing side I've ever... Oh, a little town in the USA, 
call me now.